before the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before your throne this morning to honor your name, your great and glorious name. We come to participate in the worship that you are giving yourself already. We come as those that you have chosen in Christ, those that you have given the light of the knowledge of Christ, those that are served by Christ, that we may give glory to you through Jesus Christ. We honor Christ as our Lord and Savior. We honor Christ as the Son of God who came in the flesh. We honor Jesus Christ as the head of the church. We honor Christ as the one who holds all things by the word of his power. We honor him as our great high priest and the great shepherd of the sheep. We honor him who is our propitiation for our sins, who is our justification, our wisdom from God, our sanctification, and even our glorification. We honor him who is our life, who has bestowed his life freely on, on us that we may behold of his glory that he had with you and the Father before the foundation of the world. Lord, I pray for this hour that you come and talk to us, your people, through your word. I pray, Lord, that you would bring the hearts of your people with them in this hour, that they may be opened to the glories of heaven, to the riches of heaven. May you transport their minds in this hour to the things of Christ, to the heavenly chariot of Christ, and get them off the chariot of the world. Lord, I pray and thank you for those that you've gathered here this morning. Each have different needs, but they all have one need. They need Christ. And may they see Christ as their sufficiency in all things. Lord, we thank you. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We are in the book of John. We are in the book of John. And the title of our sermon this morning is Among You Stands One Whom You Do Not Know. Among You Stands One Whom You Do Not Know. The truth of the matter is people do not know Jesus. And sadly the church that is supposed to know him has drifted away from the teaching that is supposed to reveal Jesus to us. The church has drifted from the knowledge of the God who, who saves and the God who reigns. And as a result, the church has drifted and is drifting away from teaching the Jesus who actually saves. They have instead constructed a Jesus of their own mind whom they help to get themselves 
saved. People have a Jesus who needs their help to get them saved. We are the ones who need salvation. We are the ones that God has to save. We do not help God to save us. He has to save us. The Lord is our salvation. So what is happening in the church here is summarized in, in the prophet Amos. In uh, Amos chapter 8, verses 11 and 12, which says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord God, that I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea, and from north to east they shall run to and fro, seeking the word of the Lord, but shall not find it. There's a time that is coming, and now is, when the Lord is slowly removing his truth from those who do not like it. They may still retain the name of church something, free will baptist something, but the glory of the Lord has already departed from them. So there's a famine in the church for the true word of God. And people do not like to hear the truth about God. So they gather to themselves, as Apostle Paul would say, men who tell them what their itching ears want to hear. Men who will bring to them a God who is helpless, who is folding his hands and wringing his hands in heaven, just waiting for sinners to come and choose him. But that's not the God of the Bible. And today we are going to hear Apostle John tell us about his God, his Jesus, his Savior, who is the Christ. And with that, let's go to John 1, verses 19 to 28. John chapter 1, verse 19 to 28. And it reads... This is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent to him priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? And he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. They asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. Then they said to him, Who are you? So that we may give an answer to those who send us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him and said to him, Why then are you baptizing if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, saying, I baptize in water, but among you, stands one whom you do not know. It is he who comes after me, the thong of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. There's a lot to unpack from those verses. There's a lot of unpacking that we have to do to come to an understanding of what John the Apostle would have us 
understand from this conversation. In John chapter 1 verse 18, John ends his introduction. He ends his introduction that he started from the beginning of the chapter. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God and he continues to develop that. So verse 19 is the beginning of the events that introduces us to Jesus' first week of ministry. Verse 19 introduces us to the beginning of the week that Jesus begins his ministry. There were seven days involved between the day that John was interrogated. There were seven days that were involved between this very conversation and the day that we get Jesus in John chapter 2. And that has significance because remember of the seven days in creation. So John is already preparing us for the new creation that Jesus is going to bring in the next chapter when he turns water into wine. Salvation is about a new creation. You must be born again. You must be born from above. And Jesus Christ is the one that God is revealing as the agent who brings the new creation, even as he was involved in the first creation. So in John 1, chapter 6 and 9, we hear this. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. Verse 8, he was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light which are coming into the world and lightens every man. So this is John the Baptist's testimony. He was not the light. That's what verse 6 is telling us. John was sent from God, but he was not the light. Number one, he was sent by God to bear witness to the light. Number two, that all men through him may believe. So there are three things there. John the Baptist is he who is not the light, but he was sent from God to bear witness that men may believe through him. So we have three things there that John is going to apply in what we are going to be learning. So the rest of this chapter, we are going to see the unfolding of these three aspects. The rest of this chapter, all the way to, to verse 51, we are going to see the unpacking of that threefold understanding of the work of John. So in verses 9 to 28, which is going to be our focus today, we are going to see John the Baptist saying that he is not the light. Number one. Then in verses 29 to 34, which we shall take on next week, he testifies of the light. He testifies of the light. And in John 1.34, he says, I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. And in verse, verses 35 to 51, which will take us to the end of the chapter, John records us, records for us the results of his testimony. 
we now have the first disciples coming to Jesus and believing in him. So that is what is happening there. John comes and he says, I'm not the light. And then he testifies of Christ. And then we start seeing people coming and believing in Jesus. So from this we learn the proper formula for witnessing for Christ. We learn the proper formula for witnessing for Christ. Number one, we have to remember as John has told us that we are not the light. We are not the light. We are, when you are talking to someone, we are giving testimony of the light. We are giving testimony of the light for what reason? That they may believe in Christ. So because they are not the light, don't worry if someone does not believe because of your testimony. Because you do not have the light. Know that the Lord is the one who has the light and if he is so pleased to shine his light in the heart of man, he will shine his light in the heart of man. We are only instruments in God's hands. So then we do not attempt to be a solution to all men's problems. People have issues. Sinners always have issues. And we are not going to intend or play as if we have all the solutions to their problems. Our main function is to direct them and their problems to the one who has the light. You may have some money. You could help with some money. You could help with some things. But ultimately, what they need is to know him who is the light. So let's go back to verse 19. This is the testimony of John when the Jews sent to him priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? If you read the other gospels, they do not tell us that the messengers who came from John the Baptist were from the Jews. If you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they do not tell us specifically that these people who came to John were from the Jews. We learn, for instance, in Matthew 3, 5, which says, Then Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the region around the Jordan went out to him. So the other Gospels only tell us about the places from which the people who were gathering to John the Baptist were coming from. But Apostle John wants us to know the constitution of the people who came to John the Baptist and what kind of questions that they had. They obviously had some interest in the person of John the Baptist. We know from these verses from John that those who came to him were religious authorities. They were religious authorities who were curious about the popularity and ministry of John the Baptist. They could not ignore a man that was attracting such a huge following to himself because, remember, the Jews were under the government of Rome. So these religious authorities obviously have some interest in what is happening here because John the Baptist is leading a new movement and they have to know what's going on. Is it a religious movement? Is it a political movement? And what is John the Baptist about? Is he going to cause commotion and bring trouble from Rome? So we are told the delegation is said to have consisted of priests and Levites. 
And there's no mention of the Sadducees and scribes. The Sadducees will be very important people to know about because they came from the priestly line. These were very powerful people. They were members of the Sanhedrin, which was the ruling council, uh, the ruling religious council. So they would have been interested in this kind of matter, but we are not told that uh, they were among them. We are told that they came from the Jews. Maybe they were included in the term Jews. There's something that we need to understand uh, just for improving our clarity. If you know from the Old Testament, all priests were from the tribe of Levite. All priests from the Old Testament were from the descendants of Aaron. They were to be Levites. But not all Levites were to function as priests in the tabernacle or the temple. It's only direct descendants of Levi that could function as priests in the temple. All the other Levites would have some work to do around the temple, but they were not to do the work of offering sacrifice. That was only the work of those who were directly descended from Aaron. Just as we use the term Jews, a lot of people think that Jew and Israel mean the same thing. No, they don't, although they are very related. All Israelites are Israelites. All Jews are Jews. All Jews are Israelites, but not all Israelites are Jews. The Israelites are the 12 tribes. The Jews are the descendants of the tribe of Judah. So the tribe of Judah is one of the 12 tribes. So the Jews are Israelites, but not all Israelites are Jews. So it's the same thinking here with the Levites, that all Levites would be descendants of Aaron and, um, and Moses, but not all of them were to serve in the temple. Okay. So the delegation seems from what we are reading to have been well constituted and official. This was a very official delegation that was representative of the different sections of Jewish society, especially of Jewish high society. These would be the people who are interested in the politics and the religious workings of their society. And they wanted to know by what authority John the, John the Baptist was preaching and baptizing the people. And if his movement was going to be any kind of threat to them. And the delegation asked um, John the Baptist this question. Who are you? Who are you? Why would they come to him and ask such a question? Unless if they had seen or had something that attracted their interest. The main reason that John was attracting attention was because he did not conform to their traditions. John the Baptist was not conforming to their traditions even of preaching. 
because he was a preacher. He was not conforming to the traditions of man. He was a puzzle to those in power. And those who were in power were feeling threatened and so wanted to know what his business was about. And the religious order of the day frowned at John because he preached and taught differently than them. And this is very important even in our day. People are going to frown at those who teach differently than them, especially if they are teaching the truth. John was bringing a teaching that was different than what the Pharisees and scribes had. John did not conform to their ideas and understanding of a preacher or a priest. Remember, John was the son of Zechariah, and Zechariah was a priest. So John the Baptist was already in the priestly line, and yet he comes as this unusual figure who is attracting a lot of attention, and people are wondering, who is this guy? He is not conforming even as a priest because the priests were supposed to wear very nice clothes. Right? John does not show up wearing a George Armani suit. He comes wearing camel hair. He comes eating honey and locusts. And people don't know what to make of him. In Matthew 3, 4... We are told of John, and he says, Now John himself had a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. I grew up eating a lot of locusts. And there's nothing that you can really do to make locusts taste good. The only flavor that you can give to locusts is to add salt. That's all there is to it. There isn't any recipe for cooking locusts. And John the Baptist comes from this line and he is eating locusts and honey. And yet the Lord raised him to be the one who prepares the way for the Lord. He is raised to be the preacher who comes before the coming of Jesus. John the Baptist had not gone to seminary. And it is even true in our day that the Lord will speak through whomever he wants. The Lord will speak through even a donkey like he spoke through Balaam. The Lord will raise the man that he wants to speak his truth. And John the Baptist was one of them. And John the Baptist came packaged in a different container than a lot of people were expecting. God has always packaged his truth in containers that people don't really expect him to do. And that's why people were even stumbling on Christ. Why? Because Christ was God the Son who came in the container of human flesh. It is so that 
all the power of recognizing who Christ is would come from the revelation of God himself. So people, even our day, worry about the cloth that the driver who is driving the tractor or the truck with bread is wearing. They fail to recognize that the truck driver is only bringing food. Eat the bread that the truck driver is bringing. Don't worry about the clothes that he is wearing. Don't stumble at the container. Okay? So even when we look for churches, let's not stumble over the people that God has raised to preach. All you need to listen to is what are they saying about Jesus Christ? That's what tells you of what spirit they are. What are they saying about Jesus? It's not about how good they speak. It's not about how nice they look. It's not about the ministries that they have. It's what they are saying about Jesus and God and salvation. And if we look at the conversation here, there's not one who even came to John the Baptist and said to him, are you the Messiah? The very first question. They just come to him and say to him, who are you? Who are you? But John was able to tell what question they were really asking. He was able to tell by the Holy Spirit what question they really were asking. And in verse 20, we are told, and he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. The question did not say, are you the Christ? It said, who are you? And John <laughs> confessed, but did not deny, and said, I am not the Christ. And John the Apostle could have recorded for us a less convoluted answer to that. Why not just say, I'm not the Christ? John says, and he confessed and did not deny, but confessed. Why the repetition? Why is he repeating and writing like that? It's John's emphasis. The repetition is there to emphasize of John the Baptist's lowly position to Christ Jesus. So he had to deny strongly that I am not the Christ in spite of the things that you are seeing and hearing from me. I am not the Christ. Okay? So he confessed and did not deny, but confessed. If, if you're talking about the way that people write English these days, that would be bad English. That would be a bad way of writing but the Holy Spirit has no problem in writing things like that. He comes and gives to Apostle John and says, this is what you're going to write. And he confessed but did not deny, but confessed that he is not the Christ. So Apostle John says, I, personal pronoun, that's very important. I, I am not the Christ. And we're going to see John using this personal pronoun in many references to John the Baptist, we are going to see him say, for instance, in verse 23, I am the voice. In verse 26, I baptize. Verse 27, I am not worthy. In verse 31 and 33, 
I did not know him. And this is intended to make it very clear to us that John the Baptist occupied a subordinate position to Jesus. Okay? So whatever John was, he was not the Christ. And as you probably read in the bulletin, Christ is not the last name of Jesus. Guyo is the last name of James Guyo. But Christ is not the last name of Jesus. Jesus' name is just Jesus. The Christ is a title. It's a title that respects his work. His work of salvation. Christ comes from the Hebrew word is Messiah. Messiah, the anointed one of God. Jesus Christ is the anointed one. He is the one that God has set apart. In the Old Testament, when a king or priest was called to duty, they had to be anointed. They had to carry out a special ceremony of anointing them to that work. And Christ comes not just as Christ, but the Christ. He is the Christ who is above all the Christ. He is the Christ who is the mighty deliverer. He is the one that God has put his hand as the one who does all the works of salvation. He is the Christ. And there are many and false Christ in the world. Some people have their Christ in money. They say money talks. No, money doesn't talk. It's an idol. But they say money talks. Why? Because they see salvation in money. People have different versions of Christ. But there's only one true Christ. And this Christ is the one that John is going to be telling us about. Verse 21, they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. For us to understand what is being said in this conversation, we need to go to Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Malachi 4, verses 5 and 6, and it reads, Behold, I am God. Sorry, behold, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. The Jewish expectation at this time was that Elijah was going to come before the coming of the Messiah. The Jews knew that. Because the scriptures had told them that. That Elijah was going to come. So both Elijah and the Messiah are going to come at the end of the ages. They are these very two important figures in salvation history. So Elijah is the one who is going to tell the people to get ready because the Messiah is about to be revealed. But even more... 
the Jews also knew that Elijah had not died. Elijah did not die. He went up to heaven in a chariot. So they were expecting that some figure like Elijah had to come back since he did not die. But not only that, God had spoken about him and said, he is going to come before the coming of the Lord. But John had denied that he is not the Messiah. So if John, if you are not the Messiah, who then are you? Are you Elijah then? If you are not the Messiah, the next reasonable question to ask John is, are you Elijah then? There's more to that question. Why did they go to Elijah and not Moses? Why did they God to say, well, if you're not the Christ, are you Moses then? Why did, not they, why did they not ask him if he was Moses or some other prophet? For us to understand that, we have to know the person of Elijah. And who was Elijah? Elijah is found in 2 Kings. And we know Elijah as a prophet of God. Uh, who had confronted Isaiah. Isaiah was the king of Samaria. The king of Samaria had fallen and gotten injured. And he sent his messengers to some bell to find out if he would be able to live from the injuries. And as the messengers are going to consult with this false prophet, they met with, uh, with Elijah. And Elijah tells them that your king is going to die. So the messengers goes, they go back and tell the king that they met with Elijah. They met with this strange guy. They didn't identify him. But listen to what is recorded for us here in 2 Kings chapter 1, verse 7 and 8. Then he, the king, said to them, What kind of man was it who came up to meet you and told you these words? So they answered him, a hairy man wearing a leather belt around his waist. And he said, it is Elijah the Tishbite. And John the Baptist came wearing the same kind of gear. In Matthew 3, 4, as I read, we are told that John himself was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. So John the Baptist and Elijah have the same type of clothing, they resemble each other in what they are wearing. But not only that, they resemble each other in the manner of their preaching. Elijah is existing at a time that there's a lot of corruption in Israel. And he is calling Israel to repentance. He is rebuking Jezebel. Remember Jezebel and her husband. And John the Baptist shows up and is rebuking Israel. He is calling on the Pharisees and the scribes. And the Sadducees to come to repentance uh, in, uh, in, in Christ. Uh, in Matthew 17, verse 9 to 13, this is what we hear. As they were coming down from the mountain, that is the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus commanded them, saying, Tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. And his disciples asked him, why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And he answered and said, 
Elijah is coming and will restore all things. But I said to you that Elijah already came, and they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they wished. So also the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he had spoken to them about John the Baptist. In Luke 1, verse 16 and 17, we also learn of this. An angel had come and told Zechariah, that is John the Baptist's father, and said, And he, that's John, who turned many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. It is he who go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children, and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So this was the fulfillment of Malachi 4, 5, 6. So in the Jewish mindset, they really are expecting a person of the figure and stature of Elijah. And if anything, someone greater than Elijah. So they go and ask John, are you the Messiah? Are you the Christ? And if you're not the Christ, then are you Elijah? And if you're not Elijah, are you the prophet? We need to identify you so that we can go and tell those who send us who you are. Okay? So what are we to make of the statement that he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah? Because Jesus here has just told us in Matthew 17 that the Elijah came in the spirit to John the Baptist. How are we to understand that? Because he says, well, Elijah already came, and yet people did not hear of Elijah, the head of John the Baptist. But Jesus says, no, Elijah has already come, and they already killed him. What are we to make of that? There's more to Elijah and John the Baptist than just the kind of clothing that they wore. It, we are told that Elijah, John, is going to have or had the spirit of Elijah and the power of Elijah. Now, if we have to understand if they had the same spirit, we have to look at the work that they both did. They both were calling people to repentance. Okay? They both were calling people to repentance. Even what was funny as I was reading this, I realized that Elijah was not just Elijah. He was Elijah the Tishbite. And John is John the Baptist. Even with that. Okay? If you go and read in 1 Kings, we learn that Elijah had a zeal for God. Elijah had a zeal for God. So much that he would say to God, I am the only one left. And that's when uh, the Lord would say to Elijah, I have preserved 7,000 of my people who have not bowed to Baal. So Elijah obviously has a lot of zeal for God, just as John the Baptist had. And Elijah went and reproved the Baal's priests and had them killed, if you remember. But even Ahab and Jezebel... And Jezebel wanted to kill Elijah. Jezebel wanted to kill Elijah because Elijah had rebuked them. We are told in 1 Kings 9, 19-2 uh, of Jezebel talking to Elijah. She said, uh, 
So let the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. This is going to be very interesting if we are able to connect this the way that I want to connect it. Jezebel wants to kill Elijah because Elijah has told them that they are sinners and what they have done, taking someone's vineyard, is not good. So they seek to kill him and Elijah runs into the wilderness. It actually says he runs for safety and lives in the wilderness. John the Baptist is a voice crying out of the wilderness. Okay? But even more, when you look at the life of John the Baptist, as he was reproving the Pharisees and the Sadducees, we also have an account in Mark 6 where John deals with Herod and Herodias. And this is a very interesting story, and you probably know the story, but I'm going to read this part. Mark 6, verses 17 and 19. For Herod himself had sent men, arrested John, and bound him in prison on account of Herodias, his, brothers, his brother Philip's wife, because Herod had married her. For John had repeatedly told Herod, It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias nursed a grudge against him and wanted to kill him. So Herodias wanted to have John the Baptist killed. Jezebel wanted Elijah to be killed. For the same, almost same reason. Because he was calling them to repentance. Okay? So what do we see? We see that what happened to Elijah is the same thing that happened to John the Baptist. The spirit that is on Elijah is the same spirit that is on John the Baptist. The, the spirit that is on Elijah is causing trouble to him because of the spirit that is on Jezebel. And the spirit that is on John the Baptist is causing trouble because of the spirit that is on Herodias. So Herodias is the new Jezebel. She is carrying the spirit of Jezebel. She is carrying the spirit of Jezebel because it wants to do the same thing to Elijah as it wants to do on John the Baptist. But even more, hear what the Lord Jesus Christ said in Revelation 2.20. When he was talking to the church at Thyatira, he says... Nevertheless, I have a few things against you because you allow that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. The spirit of Jezebel lived and showed itself as a spirit of immorality and idolatry, a spirit that seeks to kill through lies and false religion. But there's more for us to understand. John the Baptist did not fully know who he was. John the Baptist did not know that he was Elijah. Because he denied that he was Elijah. John the Baptist did not know that he was Elijah. For the Lord had not revealed that to him. It is the Lord 
alone who knows who a person is. It's the Lord alone who knows who a person is. No man is what they are in their own eyes and understanding. No man is what they are in their own eyes and understanding. There are some things that you know about yourself, but you only know some things about yourself. You don't really know who you are. So you are only as you are known to God. You are only truly who you are as you are known to God, not as you are known by yourself or your friends. Okay? This is very, very important for us to know. So, if Christ has said this is who you are in him, that is what is more important than what you think of yourself. Okay? So listen to what the, um, the Baptist says. He says, I baptize in water, but among you stands one whom you do not know. Who is this who is standing among them whom they did not know? The first obvious answer is Jesus. The first obvious answer is Jesus because he is the subject of discussion. But John the Apostle has a tendency to give a layered meaning to a particular statement. He makes a statement of things that function at more than one level. So he is saying a whole lot more there than what John is understanding. John the Baptist is saying more than what he understood. Okay? So he says, among the Jews, there is both Elijah in the person of John. And there's also Jesus among them. So the Jews do not know who John the Baptist is. And John does not know who he is. And those around him do not know the Jesus who is among them. They did not know. So they failed to recognize John for who he is. And John failed to recognize who he is. And they also failed to recognize who Jesus was uh, among them. So even John the Baptist did not realize he had the spirit and power of Elijah. It is Jesus who gives John the Baptist his true theological significance. And John's own estimate of himself does not count for much. So what are we to learn here? The significance of John was not in his own estimation of himself. The significance of John was given by Jesus. It didn't matter what John was thinking about himself. What matters ultimately is what God says of you. So even for ourselves, our estimate is not in ourselves. Our estimate has to come from God. Our estimate has to come from Jesus himself. What Jesus thinks of us is the only thing that matters. And if Jesus thinks that we are righteous in him, it doesn't matter what else you think of yourself. It doesn't matter how much you struggle with sin. And if Jesus says you belong to him, he has sanctified you, he has justified you, then you belong to him justified and sanctified. John the Baptist 
uh, is the one that Jesus said, among those born of women, there's none greater than John the Baptist. This is Jesus saying, among those born of a woman, there's none who is greater than John the Baptist, and yet Jesus allows John the Baptist to be beheaded by Herod. Jesus, who is God, he knows who, El, who John is more than John knows himself, and yet allows John to be beheaded by Herod. This is not being taught or believed in the church because we are being told that if you know Jesus, come to Jesus and your life will be better. But John the Baptist, who knows Jesus, is beheaded when Jesus is there walking in shoe leather. The people of God still have to go through suffering even if they know Jesus. Even if Jesus is there, they still have to experience death. Lazarus was loved of Jesus, and yet Jesus stayed four more days before he came and allowed Lazarus to die that the power of God may be shown. So when the Lord takes us through the struggles that we go through, it's him who is doing it, and he's there among, amongst us. The only problem is we do not see him. There is one who is standing among you whom you do not know. He is always there standing even as we are being beheaded. So John's denial provoked a third question. They asked him, are you the prophet? And as I said, the Jews were expecting some really big figure to come from, from the Old Testament. And we hear in Matthew 16, verse 14, uh, when the disciples were asked by Jesus, who do men say that I am? And their response to him was, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. So you see, these figures are very important in the minds of the Jews. It has to be some old Testament prophet who has to come before the coming of the Christ. Okay? And they also have this in mind. This is a very, very important verse from Deuteronomy 18. Deuteronomy 18, verses 15 and 18. It says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your countrymen. You shall listen to him. Verse 18. I will raise up a prophet from among their countrymen like you, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And as we go into the book of Acts, you are going to hear Apostle Peter, uh, you are going to hear Apostle Paul, even Philip, when they connect this verse, they connect it with Jesus and say, this is the prophet that Moses spoke about. Jesus is the prophet, he is the Messiah, he is the Christ. So they connect the prophet with the Messiah. Okay? So in verse 22, 
Look at how what is happening there as John the Baptist is answering them. His answers become shorter and shorter. He began by, I am not the Christ. Then I am not. And no. He's getting frustrated with their questions. He doesn't want to bring attention to himself. He wants to show them Christ. He wants to bear Christ to them. And in John 1, 22 to 23, uh, we hear this. Then they said to him, Who are you so that we may give an answer to those who send us? What do you say about yourself? In verse 23, he said, I am a voice of the one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet said. So the delegation that had been sent is getting frustrated with John's responses. They are not getting what they want. They are not getting what they want from John. They have to go back and give a report. And as far as the conversation has gone, they have not had anything to go say to the guys who have sent them. And yet John is still attracting a huge crowd. How can you go talk to this guy and come back and say, he is not the prophet, he is not any figure that we have to worry about. Who is this guy? So they put the burden on John and say, okay, since you said you are not the Christ and you are not the prophet and you are not Elijah, who are you? So that we may give an answer to those who send us. Okay? Listen to John's response. He says, I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet said. And John quotes from Isaiah chapter 40, Verses 3 to 5. It's actually a very telling verse because it tells us that Jesus is God. A lot of people are always struggling and saying, well, Jesus never said he was God. It's all over the scriptures. Listen to this from Isaiah 40, verses 3 and 5. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight and the rough places smooth. Verse 5. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A highway for our God. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed. What is that saying? It's saying Jesus Christ is God and God's glory revealed in him. So John comes and says, I am not the Christ. I am not Elijah. I am not the prophet. But this is who I am. I am just a lone voice. I am just a lone voice. This Christ is the word of God. Do you see what is being said? This Christ is the word of God. Who was in the beginning with God. But I am just a lone voice. And I'm just a lone voice who is in the wilderness. Crying out in the wilderness. Prepare ye the way for the Lord. I am removing the obstacles that the Lord may come. What obstacles? John the Baptist was preaching repentance. 
He had a baptism of repentance. So this is how he is preparing the way for the Lord. He is calling God's people to repentance and showing them who Christ is. So what is that saying? Before we were born again, we were like a wilderness country. Our heart was like a wilderness country. Our heart was full of sin without no knowledge of God, without any light of God. But the Lord has given us his light. He has shined in his light into our hearts. He has prepared the way that we may receive the Lord into our hearts. And what we see also from John is John does not spend much time teaching ethics. John does not spend much time teaching do's and don'ts. Rather, he spends time showing people who Christ is. And he says at the end of his ministry, I must decrease and he must increase. Okay? So in John 1, verse 24 and 25, we hear this. Now those who were sent were from the Pharisees, and they asked him, saying, Why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? The Pharisees, the word that is translated Pharisee, the root word, means to separate. It means to separate. So Pharisees were a sect of Jews that had separated themselves from the very loose religious practices and lived in strict accordance of the law. And they made a great deal of studying the law, and because of that, they ended up with a lot of interpretations of the law. And because of this, the Lord Jesus came to them and said, well, you look to the scriptures, that is, you study the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life, but it is they that testify about me. Okay, so... Because of their background, because of the background of the Pharisees, a person of the like of John could not go unchecked. A person who is leading a religious movement cannot go unchecked. They have to come and hear what John is about. Okay? So, and since John has denied that he is Messiah... And deny that he is Elijah, they have to give him another question. If you're not the prophet and you're not Elijah and you're not the Christ, so who gave you the authority to baptize? By whose authority are you baptizing then? Why are you baptizing? Why then do you baptize if you're not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? That is very important. We have to understand something there. Baptism in the understanding of the Jews. Baptism was not a new practice in Judaism. Baptism was not a new practice in Judaism. When the non-Jews or the pagans, the Gentile nations, wanted to come and worship Yahweh, the true God of Israel, and identify with Israel as the people of God, they had to be baptized. And for men, the men had to be circumcised and then baptized. For the women, 
they were just baptized. So in the minds of the Jews, baptism was only for the pagans who were trying to come and identify with their true God. Baptism was not for the Jews. So they see John the Baptist, whom they know is a Jew, baptizing Jews. I'm like, okay, what are you doing, John? Are you the prophet? How then can you be baptizing? We are God's chosen people. How can you be? We are already okay with God. We do not need to be baptized. Yes, I agree with you. The pagans are filthy. They are sinful. But we have the true God. We don't need baptism to know God. And John, if you read Matthew 3, he's calling them out and saying, you have to repent. And don't say to me or to God that we have Abraham as our father. For God is able to raise children to Abraham even from these very stones. So it doesn't matter whether you are Jew. Your Jewishness does not help you in salvation. You need to repent. You need to repent. Your ancestry is not going to help you in salvation. You need to repent and believe in the one who is standing among you, whom you do not know. So that's what the problem is. The Jews are offended because if John is calling the Jews baptism, he is saying the Jews and Gentiles are in the same category. <laughs> the Jews and the Gentiles are in the same category. Category of what? Same category of sin. They are sinners. <laughs> Every one of them has to be born again. They have to be born again. And we're going to see that with Nicodemus in chapter 3, because Nicodemus comes and says, how can I be born again? And Jesus says, you need to be born again. Unless you're born again, you will no way see the kingdom of God. So Nicodemus, Nicodemus is one of these synagogue guys. He's one of these very powerful Pharisees. They know the scriptures. And Jesus says, you are a teacher of Israel and you do not know that you have to be born again. There's no way that you ever believe in me. And there's no way that you're going to have life if you do not get born from above. But there's also some other scriptural understanding that we are to have from the Old Testament. In Ezekiel 36.5, we learn this. Then I'll sprinkle water on you and you shall be clean. And I'll cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. In Zechariah 13, verse 1, it reads, In that day a fountain shall be opened for the house of David and for the inhabitants of Jerusalem, for sin and for uncleanness. So there was some understanding that if John the Baptist was the Christ, or the prophet, or Elijah, they were okay with the baptism. But since John has denied all these persons, he has no right whatsoever to call the Jews to repentance, and especially to baptism. Okay, so that's why John is very interesting to the Jews. John answered them saying, I baptize with water, verse 26-27, but there stands one among you whom you do not know. It is he 
coming after me is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to lose. John uses this opportunity to point them to Jesus. He says, I only baptize with water. Apostle John is a water apostle. Apostle John talks about water more than any writer in the New Testament. He uses water right there in the baptism. Water into wine. We have the Samaritan woman. I have some water to drink. Can I get some water to drink? The blind man is asked to go and wash his eyes. So, and even Jesus, when he's pierced on the side, water and blood. So John is an apostle of water. But in this statement, we have something that's important there that John has for us. Look that he did not finish the statement as the other gospel writers have. This is what Matthew, Luke, and Mark records for us for the same verse. They say, John answered and said to them, As for me, I baptize with water, but one is coming who is mightier than I, and I am not fit to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. John introduces water, but he doesn't go to the baptism with the Holy Spirit and fire. He says, I baptize with water and cast the statement and goes to the one who is in your midst is preferred than me. He goes to the person of Christ before he goes to the work of Christ. He goes to the person of Christ before he goes to the work of Christ and says, but there stands one among you whom you do not know. It is he who is coming after me and is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to lose. So this person who is standing among them is supposed to be coming to fulfill and displace John's ministry. John and Jesus are not going to be running ministries side by side. Christ has to come after John. John is already anticipating that Christ is going to succeed him. And John has to pale into insignificance. Christ is preferred before me, he says. And John further expands his inferiority to this mysterious figure and says that he is superior. Not only do you not know him, but he is superior so much that John the Baptist is unworthy to unloose the sandal strap of his sandals. So John subordinates his person and his ministry and his baptism to the person and work of Jesus Christ. It is the superiority of Christ that avails to anything. Christ has to be superior or else whatever else you are saying about Christ is useless. If Christ is not God, it doesn't matter what else you say about him. It's all useless. His baptism won't help you. His work of salvation won't help you. You have to begin with the person of Christ. Who he is as the son of God, who is God the son. If you remove that from your faith, you have no hope whatsoever. 
you are not talking about the Christ of John. So, the superiority of Christ is very, very important because that's what they're developing for us to understand. And he says, water baptism here. He says, I baptize you with water. But there's one standing among you who is preferred than me, who is going to baptize you with a different medium, which is better, which is better and which is higher. So he says, if it's just water baptism by John, it doesn't avail to anything. You are just getting wet. If it's just baptism without the true Christ, you're just, getting, you're just getting wet for nothing. Unless you have been baptized of the Holy Spirit and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Look at the two people who are there. There's John the Baptist and the water baptism. There's Christ and the Holy Spirit baptism. So you need more than being dipped in water. You need to be baptized by Christ himself by the Holy Spirit. We shall be talking about that next week. So John's interest is in Christ and his ministry. And he says, my own ministry, as long as it doesn't lead you to Christ, is a useless ministry. I have to lead you to Christ Jesus. I can't bring you here and talk about you. I have to talk about him. And if I talk about him, you will go to him because what you need is found only in him and he is the one who is able to give it. So in verse 1, John says, I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore, I came baptizing with water. So John is saying, my baptism was only that Christ may be revealed to Israel. His baptism was only that Christ may be revealed to Israel. So even our teaching, our teaching, our baptism, our confession, should only be for the fact that Christ may be revealed to you. Christ has to be revealed to you. But then, John makes a very important comparison between himself and Jesus. Do you see that since we have heard of the person of John, there's very little of significance that we've been told about him. Every time that he talks about himself, he has to take a lower position. Always. He takes a lower position. I'm not the light. I just baptize with water. But the one who is coming is preferred before me. And he baptized with better things and higher things than what I can bring. Okay. But John says something that is very important. That you read this forever and ever and not understand what he's saying. John says, it is he, in verse 27, who coming after me is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose or untie what is the importance of the loosing of the sandal strap? Very, very important. Why did John say that? In old Palestine, loosing the sandal, if you're wearing sandals, was only the task of a slave. Uh, loosing the sandal was only the task of a slave. 
a disciple could not be expected to perform it. Disciples, when they were gathered to their teachers, they had things that they could do for them. The teachers were not paid for teaching. The teachers were not, be, were not paid for teaching the scriptures. So what the disciples did was they would help with some things for the teacher. But there was one thing that they could not do. They could not untie his sandals. They could not do that. That only was a menial service done by slaves. Slaves were below the disciples. And John the Baptist comes and says, this one that I'm talking about is preferred before me whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to loose or untie. So John says, I am below a slave when it comes to Christ. I am not even at the disciple level. I am not even at the slave level. I am below that. I can't even untie his sandals. So John continues to tell us how inferior he is to Christ. And remember who John is. This other thing that a lot of people will forget when they're reading about this. Remember who John is. John is Jesus' cousin. John is Jesus' cousin. And remember, John is from the priestly line. And remember, John has a huge ministry. Remember, John was born filled with the Holy Spirit. Remember, God spoke to John about Jesus. John has a very high profile, more than any other preacher that you and I will ever see in this life. And yet he says, when it comes to Christ, I am below a disciple, I am below a slave, I can't even untie the strap of his sandals. That is more than humility. That is more than humility. What is John really telling us? He is saying, when you have understood the true nature of who Jesus Christ, you put your head into the dust. When you have understood who Jesus is for who he is, you know that you are unworthy of anything that Christ has to give to you. So he says, Christ is preferred above all. And we, as Berean Sovereign Grace Church, we have to understand that we are inferior to Jesus Christ. We have to look at Jesus correctly if we are to be true followers of Jesus Christ. We have to understand who Jesus is if we are not to minimize the work of salvation. Because when we are taught by the Bible that we are saved by faith in him, most people think that faith is something very simple to do. And John is saying, faith comes from Christ. From his fullness we have received grace upon grace. Faith is a work of Christ who is preferred above all. And if Christ is preferred above all, 
every little thing that he does, even in your eyes, is of high value and high quality than you could ever do yourself. So people will say, oh, Christ has done this, but we are going to help him with this. We want to do the works of God. You can't do the works of God. The work of God is to believe in him whom he sent. Jesus Christ, believing in Christ is the hardest work that you ever do in all eternity. And you only believe in Christ because he has given you the faith. He has bridged the gap between you and heaven. He has brought heaven to you. Okay. And this is going to rub the modern church the wrong way. Because the modern church teaches people that they have to do things for Christ. The Bible says Christ has done things for us. He is the one who has done things for us. But the modern church wants to make people significant. When John the Baptist is saying, I am insignificant. I am nothing. I can't even untie his shoes. Okay? Jesus says to anyone who wants to do anything in Luke 17.10, So likewise, you, when you have done all those things which are commanded, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done what is our duty to do. The church needs to learn from John the Baptist. The church needs to understand who Christ is from John the Baptist. And as John the Baptist said, among you stand one whom you do not know. Jesus is standing in the church. But people do not know him for who he is. And few want to talk about the true Jesus of God. And Jesus is standing in the church and very few see him because they want to have another Jesus who tickles their ears. Jesus is standing in the church today and people do not see him because they think they are more preferred than him. People do not see Jesus today because they think they are worthy to untie the strap of his sandals. And they do not see Jesus standing among them because they think he is like them. They think that, oh, since Jesus was praying to God, he has to be just like me. Yes, he was made like unto us, but he was sinless. He is sinless, but not only that, he is also God in the flesh. And Jesus is standing in your own house. Jesus is standing in your own bedroom. Jesus is standing in your own car. In your own marriage, Jesus is there. And yet many do not know him. They cannot see him. And when Christians come to church, they should come to church to see the Jesus who is standing in the scriptures. You come to church this is how you can tell that a church is a church of Christ. It's not the number of people in the congregation. It's the Jesus who is coming out standing from their scriptures. What are they saying about Jesus from their scriptures? If they have a Jesus who is standing tall above all else, then they have the Jesus of the scriptures. 
If Jesus would come and stand in the pulpit of most of the churches today, people would not recognize him. He would come and preach a sermon and people would start walking out. They would start walking out as they did then. Remember when the Lord was preaching, people started leaving him in John 6. They didn't want to hear what he was saying. They said, who can hear these hard things? People don't want to hear Jesus. Here at Berean, I pray that the Lord will cause us to see the Jesus who is among us. That by the scriptures, by the teaching of the scriptures, that we may see the Jesus who is among us. Because coming to church is more than just getting dressed and coming here. You are coming here to bring the God that you have. You are bringing here the God that you have and see if that's the God that I have. So I am giving you the God that I have and then you have to take that God wherever you go and compare him with what you had here. So we bring only that which God has given us, the Jesus whom we have been given. So, Berean, there's one that God has given us who has stood among us and is standing among us and shall always be standing for his people. And this is the Jesus that we proclaim, the one who was from the beginning with God, the one who was made flesh, the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit and fire. That is our Jesus and that is our Lord. Let's go before him in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before your throne this afternoon. Lord, we thank you for Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, the one who has been standing and is standing among his church as the head of the church. Lord, may you cause your people to see him. We need to know him who stands among us, that we may believe in him and partake of the life that is in him. We thank you from the word that we received from John the Baptist and John the Apostle. The word that Christ baptizes his people with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is your gift to your people. He is your gift to your people. And may he open the things of Christ to us, that we may see him, that we may believe in Christ, that we may point others to Christ. Lord, we thank you for your kindness and your goodness. May you be with all who were not able to make it this morning. 